Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Wilson headquarters at William Street, high above America's intersection in fashionable Midtown Atlanta. This is Matt Harrigan with the Adult Swim podcast. Today, co-creator of Toonami, senior vice president of Adult Swim on Air and creative director of Toonami, Jason DeMarco tells us, well, I guess you'll have to find out what he tells us. Aha, here we go. Here we go. The festival must be a total pain in the ass to make. Uh, yeah, it's a huge pain. Where are you at in it right now? We're locked. Locked totally with the axe. Yeah. And um, we announce next week. So, Does it give you anxiety? Oh, yeah, all the time. Like every day. <laughs> Is that your biggest stressor? Uh, it's probably tied for that and like uh, all the shows I'm doing now. I've got seven shows in production. So. What are the shows? They're all anime, all different like drama animations. Yeah. Uh, Blade Runner, and then six shows that haven't been announced. <laughs> but so you have Blade Runner. Does that yeah. open doors for other shows? Because people are like, "Oh fuck, they're doing Blade Runner." Yeah, it legitimizes. Not that it wasn't already, but no, it-, it totally did. I mean, it was a shot across the bow. That's why we. That's why they let us do the deal, even though it's pretty expensive and it's not the kind of deal. Warner Brothers likes to do where we don't own 100% of it because you're not going to own Blade Runner, you know. Yeah. Um, they normally wouldn't spend that much money on something they don't own, but they they all felt what I felt, which is, you know, make a big splash. What animes do you really have your deep respect? Um, Over time or yeah. right now? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Cowboy Bebop, which is why we, uh, Adult Swim showed it so many times, and Lazo loves it. Um, because I, that to me is one of the greatest shows ever made. Um, and what's coming to uh, Netflix, Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is the anime nerd, like 2001. Turn someone on to anime who doesn't know it and who maybe likes to hate it without knowing it. Uh, uh, (laughs) It shouldn't be hard. I would say, are we doing the show right now, by the way? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't know. There's no intro or anything. I didn't know how it works. I can introduce you. No, I don't. I... <laughs> Isn't gentlemen. <laughs> Here he David is. David Letterman. Yeah. Jason DeMarco tells us why he loves new metal so much. Go ahead. <laughs> anime. I like that question. How do you sell anime to somebody who thinks of like, oh, online nerds? Yeah. I would say if you like animation, if you don't like animation, don't bother. But if you like animation... Uh, but you would like to see animation do more than just tell jokes. Yeah. Then anime has literally every kind of show you could imagine. It has drama, has sports shows, it has action, comedy, it has uh, romance, it has the breadth of 
different types of stories that you don't find in U.S. or other animation around the world. And it's usually animated better, although not always. So it has topics that aren't featured in American animation? Yeah, there's like four or five right now ongoing basketball drama animes. One of the ones, mm. one of my favorite ones of all time is one called Slam Dunk. And it's literally just, it's like Dragon Ball Z, but they're playing basketball. And like when someone does a dunk, it's like a huge power move. Like it's, it's but I mean, I just, I love that. That's what I, I love that about anime that I, if I want to watch a, um, a show about uh, two swimmers that fall in love, I can. Or if I want to So weirdly watch. specific. So that's, that's a show called Yuri on Ice. Yeah. That, that's skaters, not swimmers, but you can find anything you want. It's because in the in Japan, anime is so ubiquitous that everyone watches it, so there needs to be a broader depth of topics. And I think in the US, it's changing thanks to like us and other people, but uh, animation is still largely considered something for kids, or now we've we've entered into the era where it's like, okay, either it's for kids or it's Family Guy. Those are the two. It's either for kids or, or college kids. But the idea of like telling a story that has serious themes or that is trying to say something about anything beyond telling jokes in an animated format, it, that doesn't happen in the U.S. Harder to replay, presumably. They don't re Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing which uh, Mike Lazo loves to tell me. Anime doesn't replay, Jason. So you don't want to spend a lot of money on it because you right. can't show it over and over like Com look, look, let me tell you something. Comedy replays. Anime don't replay. So do you agree? Uh, I think that's true to some degree because anime is like drama. It's a story that's building to a conclusion. And if you're rerunning it and you, someone catches an episode and they've already seen the story, unlike comedy, like for some reason, people love to see the same fucking jokes over and over and over. It doesn't bother them. But if you if you watch a movie that's a action movie or a drama and you're like, oh, I know how that I know what this is going to happen. And, uh, forget it. Like they just don't watch it. All right. So explain what, you know, law and order replays, law and order replays, I think, are a separate thing because they're not an overarching storyline. It's a one and done. You know what I mean? So it's recurring like, characters, different crime. Yeah. So it's like if you like that case of the week or maybe you just like. I mean, I think that's there's a certain type of television show that does well because it's just remixing the same elements over and over and over, which is why people watch game shows. And to me, Law and Order is just one step above a game show. It's like we just took a few things you liked, shuffled them, ba boom, yeah. new episode. And I think with a drama, a good drama, you don't really know where it's going necessarily. And maybe when it's over, you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm that was exhausting, even though it was great. So turn people on to animes that. And it's animes, right? Not anime. Just it's just anime. Turn people on to anime. Yeah. <laughs> Turn people on to anime that, uh, like we were saying, who don't know it, who yeah, uh, low barrier to entry. Oh, low barrier to entry is what we show on Cowboy I mean, Bebop. Cowboy Bebop for sure. That's it. That's, start there. Start there. I would say if you, because it's it's somewhat uh, that creator is somewhat American. Um, I mean. He's got some sort of an international point of view, so the show doesn't feel super Japanese. It doesn't have a cultural sort of barrier to get over. Um, it's an outer space, you know, adventure, which I think is pretty relatable to anyone who watches a sci-fi movie in the last 20 years. Um, I also think um, Samurai Champloo, which we've already also shown, same creator, but also a very accessible sort of 
entry point into anime. Um, most anime these days people get into from starting as very young kids, Pokemon, Dragon Ball, you know, the adventure stuff, and then they graduate to the more serious stuff later. That's normally how people do it. So you're an expert on it. And what is your favorite? Uh, I mean, I hate to be, I'm going to date myself because I'm 47 years old, but Akira is still my favorite. Um, I don't think there's been an animated movie that looks as good as Akira. And, uh, I'm very bummed out that they're making a live action version. Um, who's, uh, who's in it, you know, I don't think they've cast it yet, but it's, um, Taika Waititi is going to direct it. And he said he wants to cast all Asian unknowns, which I think is smart because it's a quintessentially Japanese movie. And I think putting an American cast in it would get a lot of criticism. But he himself, uh, Kiwi, you know? Yeah, I know. Well, that's what okay. I mean. Like, it's not like it's the Japanese director, which it kind of should be. But, you know, if you want to go down that path, all the criticism that the Ghost in the Shell movie got was because they cast Scarlett Johansson and it was directed by a white guy. When it's a story that's very much about Japan. So you're dreading this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm pre-hating it. I don't know if, I don't know, are you, are you one of those people that likes it when you hear they're going to do a live action version of a animated thing? Like, do you like the Disney live action versions of their Lion I can't even King? think of any. So no. I mean, yeah, that's kind of cool to think of what a live action Lion King. I, I thought the play was awesome. Oh yeah, you the play the, is awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, right? it is awesome. I thought I I thought I'd be bored to tears, and I was like, wow, I was moved by a Broadway musical <laughs> for children. <laughs> well, that's Julie Taymor. She's just awesome. But yeah. I, but but for me, I would rather. I don't really care. It's not that I don't want to see. It. I, I mean, like I'm not against it. I just don't care about. To me, an animated version of something that's really good is good enough. Like it's not. It's not like it's not real until it's live action, which I think some people actually do feel. They are really excited when they hear, oh, there's going to be a live action version of Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. You know, um, for for me, I don't mind if it stays animated forever. That's good enough for me. I don't want any Miyazaki movies to be turned into live action. Oh, man. That would be a real bummer. <laughs> How often do you go to Japan? Uh, at present, I am going more than I've ever gone. So about every other month for about a week at a time. What's your strong move on flying to Japan? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a 14 hour flight. Yeah. So you can't mess around. So number one, I, I do not have an easy time sleeping on planes and I can't take pills because I had, I took some Ambien once on one of these trips and it was working great. And then one morning or one night it didn't work. So I was up all night and had taken two Ambien. And so I got up in the morning and I was that in that creepy Ambien haze where you just feel like you want to die and you're cold and sweaty. That's how Tiger Woods used to do that on purpose to have sex with girls. Did you hear about that? No, uh-uh. He used to take Ambien and be like, let, he used to tell his girls that when this is when he was being a complete maniac, uh, he would tell girls, let's take Ambien and not fall asleep and have weird sex because you feel <laughs> it makes you feel wow. like you're crazy. Yeah. So I went to a meeting like that. And the person I was with was like, don't ever fucking do that again because you seemed like a crazy person. And I was like, yeah, wow. Was. What were you doing? That was weird. I think I was just pale and sweaty and acting sketchy. <laughs> like they thought I was a coquette <laughs> or something. So, I mean, the meeting went fine, but she told me afterwards, she was like, you were freaking me out, man. You can't do that anymore. So now I don't do anything like that. So when I get on the plane, 
I immediately order a drink and keep drinking for a good four or five hours. Yeah, what do you order? Uh, well, they have Macallan, which is uh, my favorite scotch. They have Macallan 12, but they usually only have about four bottles. So I try. I start out by ordering doubles of Macallan 12 till they're out. You wear it out. Then I switch to vodka and go clean. Um, th- and I load up my iPad with well, – last time was Deadwood, so I was catching up. I was re-watching all the Deadwoods in preparation yeah. for the Deadwood movie. I load my iPad up with tons of movies and – uh, TV shows. I don't ever watch what's on the actual plane. So the the scotch and vodka start to take effect as you're getting deeper and deeper into yeah. Deadwood or whatever you're <laughs> yep. watching, and yep. it comes to a point. Yeah, and then I just and then they feed you. Yeah, and I am always sure to eat the full meal and dessert, so I'm nice and sleepy time. And then I crack my seat down, and if I'm lucky, I can get three hours of sleep. Maybe, yeah, maybe four. And you wake up bleary. Yes, hung over a little and, bit. And then they give the they give you breakfast and coffee, and then you got a two hour car ride to yeah. the hotel from the airport. But you've got it down to a science <laughs> to get drunk system. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not for the squeamish in terms of jet lag. It's for real deal jet lag. About day three, when you're in your fifth or sixth meeting, and it's four o'clock in the afternoon, fluorescent lights, and your body thinks it's three in the morning, and just yeah. wants you to go to sleep. And you're listening to someone translating long Japanese sentences. It's uh, you can make some questionable decisions. Yeah, you. We'll take it. I love that show. Yeah, like, and it's a peculiar thing to purchase anime from. It's a very Japanese culture. It's a very different thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, to some degree we've had it easy because um, Toonami's been around now for 21 years, and uh, a lot of the animation houses in Japan have all heard of it. Yeah. So to some degree, we have some legitimacy. We're not, if, like, if you don't have either the name of Netflix and a giant bag of money that they're bringing into the room, or you don't know someone, it's pretty hard to get in with a lot of these production companies because they don't want their time wasted. So if we call, though, they know we're for real. So they take our meetings. Have the other streaming services changed the anime? industry in it America profoundly changed it yeah i mean netflix pays about twice to three times more than they need to for pretty much every anime they buy they probably do that for every show but they definitely do it for anime and it as a result has changed the anime business there are less production houses than ever and now they're all booked up years out like 3 years out like the next project you can get with any of them would start in about 3 years and the prices of all the shows have risen because a rising tide lifts all boats. And Netflix is paying more, which means we have to pay more. Whoever else is in market, Hulu, Funimation, all the different players have to pay more too. What do they know of or speak of or what do they have an opinion about Toonami? They just know we show anime and we've done a respectful job over the years and that like we've helped make shows big. Uh, in the case of certain directors, they will they will literally be like, oh, yeah, because sometimes a show will do well in the U.S. that didn't do well in Japan, which is still good for the director because the director can then say, well, it wasn't a hit here, but overseas it did great. So it still made its money back. We sold some merch. So here's my next idea, you know. Um like the Cowboy Bebop creator, he's a good example. That show didn't do that great in Japan, but it did so well over here that it literally changed his whole life. So 
I think what you see is just it, it's it's years of like oh all the different. I mean, we've probably shown two hundred shows at this point, three hundred. So at that point, we have three hundred different stories of people that have had their show shown here, and either it helped them or it had no effect. You know, but it doesn't hurt. Tsunami's turned a lot of people on anime. Yeah. Yep. At most of America, it's their introduction to anime. Uh, I would say that um, maybe not as much now because there are so many streaming services. But even now, we're still introducing people to anime because I get people hitting us up all the time. And when we go to cons and stuff, we say, oh, yeah, my first anime was like three years ago. I watched what, you know, like kids. Um, but I, and then there's a ton of people who grew up in our 90s era watching Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon and, you know, one of the shows. It's always one particular gateway show. Um, and that's always been our job is to service the new fan as well as the existing fan. But we always try to keep an eye on like the idea that it's TV. So it's not streaming. It's not a website. It's not where people are deep diving on one thing because they love it so much. The whole idea of TV is I'm flipping around, you know, it's not the whole idea, but it's part of it. I'm flipping around. I don't know what I'm going to find. And one thing TV does well that I think the internet doesn't really is serve you up something you didn't know you wanted because you just land on it. We don't really do that anymore. Like how music used to arrive. Pretty much. Turn on the radio. And now all anyone does is deep dive into the ass of their own algorithm. So it's like, oh, you like metal? Here's 50,000 other metal bands. And so soon enough, that's your bubble. And before you were exposed, I would argue to, maybe it was harder to find the rare stuff, but you were exposed to a lot more different types of things. Um, and I think that's something we're kind of losing, and TV still does. Convenience has fucked up uh, <laughs> a lot. At deep, deep dives. Into, when you were a kid, when I was a kid, you'd put on a record and you'd be too lazy to go up and change it. So you'd hear the second or third or fourth <laughs> yeah. song. And then eventually you'd like those deep cuts better than yeah. what you intended. And you're reading the liner notes just because you're sitting there listening and you're bored. And when you were sitting there listening, you didn't have your phone to screw around on. So you were reading the liner notes, looking at the cover, wondering about, oh, I wonder where these guys are from. Then you find a magazine. Oh, look, I can read about where they're from. Now it's literally it's in your pocket. All human knowledge is in your pocket. So. Uh, you hear a song for the first time, you Shazam it, you see the name of the band, you Wikipedia who they are, you download 10 songs, give me their best hits. So you've I'm trying to think about how to connect it. <laughs> but it's a, You're trying it's, to connect the music thing? I'm trying to connect the music thing to the anime thing. Uh, you've probably already done it. It's you st- make the connection. It started with Toonami, so there is a connection. Basically... When I started here working on Toonami in 19... I started working at Turner TNT in 1996. Uh, I started working on Toonami six months later to helping develop it. When we were putting it together, there was not good library music, which is, for people who don't know, library music is just the Turner or Warner Brothers buys thousands of songs that are legally cleared for us to use that just exist as background music for like news stories or promos or whatever. So we were trying to save money for Toonami. So, so we, we were told just go license, just go use a bunch of the already pre-licensed music. But we knew we didn't want to use like screaming guitar rock, which is what most kids shows had then. Uh, and they didn't have anything that was rap. They didn't have any hip hop. They didn't have any electronic music, which is something that I've always listened to. So 
I started going out and trying to find people who made music for cheap. So there was this local guy. He lived in Athens at the time, DJ Danger Mouse, and he was a DJ who also made music. So I hooked up with him and started buying beats from him. We bought beats from Tommy Guerrero, the um, famous skater from back in the day. And we just started buying music that we could own and use however we wanted. And kind of that started just – it all kind of stemmed out of that. And then from there, that led eventually in a roundabout way. It, led, it all happens in a roundabout way, but it led to Danger Doom which was the album we did with Danger Mouse and MF Doom and a bunch of Adult Swim uh, characters. And then from Danger Doom, that led to us having our own label, William Street Records, which is where we are now, where we're releasing a song every week and we're doing a festival. And, you know, it's not part of William Street Records, but, you know, you guys are having bands in Fish Center and music and Adult Swim is just a thing now that everyone just knows Adult Swim loves music, and we will feature a lot of music. But it's you turning people on to anime. It's you turning people on to music that you like. Yeah. yeah. You like turning people on to things. I, yes. Personally. I do. Yes, you I get do. satisfaction out of that. Uh, yeah, I love doing that. I mean, one of my favorite things as a consumer of media is discovering a new thing. Especially when you're like us and you work in media, you can get so jaded You've heard of everything. You've heard every story. You know all the producers. And like, you just, it's a little bit easier to be like, ah, that's going to be a bag of shit. You know what I mean? So you're a lot more surprised when you're like, oh, it was really good, whatever it was. And I love that feeling of discovering a new, exciting thing that I didn't know about. Like, what, like what have you been turned on to? I'll give you one, and you give me one. Uh, well, you know who's good at turning me on to things? Uh, Lazo is. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. He turned me on to Tanaroin. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, nothing I would have ever discovered. Yeah, Tuareg. Tuareg. Tuareg Led yeah. Zeppelin. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he turned me on to this book, and I wish I could name, remember the name of it. I'm reading it right now. I'm just terrible with names. But it's about the assassination of Heydrich, the... Um, the Nazi, uh, he was like Hitler's third in command. Uh, and it's fascinating. It's really great. Lazo and I talk books a lot because he reads more than me. So he always turns me on. To, like with music, Lazo doesn't turn me on to as much stuff because uh, he's, he's a little bit more narrow in his taste than I am yeah. nowadays, now that he's gotten older and crankier. Um but with books, he reads way more than I do. He's way more. I read. I'm always reading a book, but Lazo only reads like literature. He doesn't read like a Jack Reacher book, right? Which is what I do. I read like one or two, which I would argue are like harder to read books. There, I'm going to learn something, yeah. and then I read one or two like Stephen King or Jack Reacher, or just some bullshit plain book that I can relax with. Lazo doesn't read any of those. He only wants, like, give me the straight dope. If it's not Faulkner, get out of my face. He he made all of us read uh, Faulkner during one season of Space Ghost, and everyone was just like, one after <laughs> the next, like, just like, why? Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. I, I love Faulkner, but it's not an easy. He's not any. No. And Lazo's Curling like, start. Spaces. Yeah, he's like, start with uh, As I Lay Dying. Yeah. Like, oh, real, real easy read, right. As I Lay Dying. Um we we were in a book. He's not in the book club anymore. But we were in a book club for a while, and his suggestions were always that. And you always the, the man almost never picks something I didn't l like. At least tell me about the book club. 
I can't imagine you guys in a book club. That sounds like such like a. That sounds like such an afternoon mom thing. Well, you know? it was started by Ollie Green, who you've had on this show. Yeah, and it's it was like six people, and Lazar was one of them, and Dave Hughes is in as well. And they were already doing it. They invited me. They'd been doing it for like a year, and right. I don't I don't know how they started doing. It. I think. Ollie and Laza were talking about books, and she she said, "Well, why don't we have a book club? We'll all read a book. Yeah, we'll get together and talk about it." And the approach was hilarious because for some people, the book club is more like, "Let's just get a bunch of food and booze, and we'll talk about the book, and then we're just going to get drunk and talk and have fun like it's a party." And Lazo's approach was, "Why aren't we talking about this book in greater detail?" He wanted to do it like he got to the point where he was like. This is just bullshit. We need to be meeting once a week after work and talking about the where we are wow. in the book every week. And, to, and we were all like, that's when it becomes homework, dude. That's not fun. And he wanted to make it like, uh, you know, let's really. But I will say that when it didn't always happen because everyone had to either really hate the book or really love the book for this to happen. But when we would read a book that we all loved or hated we would have some really great discussions where people would mention things I didn't catch or would bring up points about a, a book that I completely disagreed with. And we would get into deeper discussions from there. Those are always super fun. The ones that were like more lackluster is when we all thought a book was like fine. Then we really had nothing to say because we'd be like, yeah, it was fine. Pass me the booze, please. That sounds very civilized. It, it was. You would sit around and have conversations about books with your coworkers. <laughs> That's what we did. Yeah, we still do it. We we are reading. Uh, I didn't. I couldn't finish it because I hated it. We uh, Catch Twenty Two is the book we're reading right now. Did he turn you on to the uh, the Strange Last Voyage of Donald Crowhurst? Yes, he tried. He tried to. I haven't. You didn't like it. Check it. I didn't check it out. Dude, run, don't walk. Oh really? Oh my gosh, unbelievable. All right. Well, he's. I mean, he's. He turns people onto things. You turn he, people onto things. Yeah. I think that's the, I mean, so do you. I think that's why anyone does what we do, right? I mean, you want to tell, yeah. you want to show people something. Let me show you a story. Let me show you a song. Let yeah. me show you a joke. I mean, it's, show business. it's wanting to communicate with people on right. some level. And I think that's what, that's why I do the music stuff. And the other, the other reason I do the music stuff is because to put it in a way that's going to sound ridiculous but it's true. I believe people that make a living doing just art, not people who work for a corporation like you and I do, but like actual people who are out there making their living off of like songs or paintings or whatever. I believe that's a very brave and hard thing to do these days. And I have always felt like to the degree I could, I wanted to use the support I have at a corporate level to help people both get money and exposure for doing that. It's not easy to afford that artistry or curiosity or whatever they're doing. So, yeah. so a, as a member of a corporation who can support that, that's what I yeah, want to do. The Medici's. I mean, one of my proudest moments is one of the guys from uh, one of the record labels we work with, Ghostly Recordings. He said people around his office call me the Robin Hood of Cartoon Network. <laughs> Because, wow, because I was taking money from the rich and giving to the poor, <laughs> which is a little ridiculous. But you get the you get the idea. Like I, uh, that's supporting people who make art to me is very very important for both my personal 
satisfaction and just generally for society. I think society devalues art and I don't think it should be. And maybe you wouldn't have the same opportunity at a major network. No way. No, absolutely not. I mean, like Adult Swim, really it's Turner and Adult Swim both. So working at Turner at the time, which Turner no longer really exists, but Turner's whole thing was you want to do something outside of your job parameters. Cool. Go do it for a year. And if you do a good job at it, maybe we'll start paying you for it. And then Adult Swim was another layer on top of that, which is do it and have it be really good. And then maybe I'll give you the tiniest amount of money for it. Nowhere else I can say definitively, there is nowhere else other than Adult Swim I could have had the rope and the patience to be able to slowly build a music program or to slowly build Toonami into what it is. Because most major corporations everything's turning over all the time and they don't have time to like see if something grows. And one great thing about adult swim, whether you're talking about aqua teen or squid bellies or any number of things that adult swim has done, it's been a slow, like, let's just see where it goes and maybe it'll turn into something. And that kind of patience is incredibly rare in our sphere. Um, Weird little garden. Yeah, that's really exactly right. And, 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 the freedom that we have had, all of us, to fail or succeed based on our own idea is something you don't get. And I know people who've worked at every network, and you don't, you don't get it anywhere else. Disney employees are not allowed to dick around like we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> it is. I mean, imagine the good shit that could come out of Disney if they didn't do what they do, you know, not that they're hurting for money. You're staring down the barrel of a major American music festival. <laughs> yeah, just to bring to bring you back to say, reality. <laughs> slow down. Yes, right. Well, uh, yes. I saw the venue. Yes, it's yeah. fucking crazy, in we, a good way. All right. Well, yes, we are doing a second year of the festival. Year one did well enough that the network said, "Hey, let's let's try it again." So we have a new venue. It was a lot of fun. It, it was a lot of fun. The first it, year. I, th- I think we learned a lot. I think we learned sort of what's enough bands, what's too many, what time do you want to start, how much money do you want to charge. We learned a lot about the basics because we're a TV network. We're not a festival. But so I, you know, I have the lucky and unlucky job of picking all the bands. And last year was easy and hard at the same time because last year it was, okay, we're going to put on a festival, but you don't have anywhere near the amount of money that a normal festival does. So you're going to have to just call in favors. So call in all your friends and tell them we'll pay them half what they're worth. And that was literally what that festival was last year was every band there was people I knew personally and asked as a favor, would you play our festival? Because we had an ongoing relationship and most of them played for uh, two thirds of what they normally get. Um, So you have to make those calls. And does that give you anxiety to do that? Or do you feel like... It's an investment. It depends on the band. I mean, sometimes I felt like, eh, it's a little weird to be asking this. <laughs> and then sometimes like with Run the Jewels, those guys I know well enough that I they knew 
why I was asking that. And I have over the years helped them and given them money and material help. So they felt like they owed us. Um, so that felt like an even trade. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a little weird when you're asking a lower level band. Like, I know you don't make much anyway, but how about making even less? So this year, because I exhausted my Rolodex last year of people I know well enough to, to, to not pay as much, this year we got a little more money in the budget. So everyone appearing this year is being paid their normal you know, rate. Um, so this year it was more of an exercise of like, what bands do I like and think I'd like to see at our festival that feel like they make sense for Adult Swim and are a good balance of the types of genres we want to have. Um, and then you're worrying about stuff like um, the math of, hey, they just played L.A. two months before, so maybe we don't want to have them because it'll cut into our ticket sales. And then like, oh, their tour routing takes them to Kalamazoo first and all that's going to screw up. So the, all that is a total nightmare. And then you're also working with like, okay, we're trying to get the balance 50-50 male-female, which I don't think we got to, but we got close. Um, and festi the festival circuit is exploding right now. There's a million festivals. So locking down bands that aren't, aren't, aren't locked down already proved very challenging. I learned a lot. How do you? I'm I'm dying. I, I would love to hear the conversations about where do you, where is my name going to be on the on the poster? You know what? That's actually not that's actually not that big of a deal because pretty much it's in the beginning of the conversation you have with the the agent or the management. You, they say, "Is this a headlining slot?" And you say, "No." And if you say no, that means their name isn't first on the poster. If you say, no, it's not a headlining slot, and they get the poster because you have to send it to them to look at, and their name is huge, bold letters like they're headlining, they're going to be mad. So you just have to sort of tell them in advance and know that when you say to someone, you are one of our headliners, that will give them more negotiating power in terms of, well, we want more money because we're one of the main draws. And it's a puzzle because months from now fortunes will rise and fall absolutely i mean yeah you can book someone and suddenly by the time they get to your festival they're sort of way cooled off or they played 30 billion shows yeah and then you can get someone that hasn't played much at all and is a rising star that you just got lucky so you've just got to read the tea leaves as best you can pretty much i mean all i've ever done is what i do almost for anime but uh, and is I just literally go with my gut. It's like, I like this based on what I'm seeing. I think they're going to keep growing and getting better. And I mean, my, my guidelines are pretty much, um, I, I don't want really want to go outside of the genres of music you would hear on adult swims air very often. Um, it's pretty curated. Um, unless it's something that's so perfect. Like if I could get Dolly Parton, I would get Dolly Parton in a heartbeat. Can you get Dolly Parton? You can get Dolly Parton. We couldn't get her this year, but you can get her if you're willing to pay the money. Dolly plays. Yeah. Um, so Dolly Parton oh, be would be amazing, right? Yeah. And so like that kind of thing, I don't worry about, well, we don't use Dolly Parton on the air very much. Like, who cares? A it's lot Dolly of people Parton. would be like, why the fuck is Dolly Parton yeah. playing the Adult Swim Festival? But that, in a way, makes it an adult, a perfect Adult Swim thing. Yeah. So it's sort of a mix of that. Like, we're going to use, a, we're going to have a lot of electronic music. We're going to have some metal. We're going to have some rap, of course. And then we're going to have some other weird stuff. Uh and that's kind of what makes it feel right. And then a bunch of comedy. And this year we're going to have a bunch of panels. And um, there's going to be a Squidbillies one and a Robot Chicken one. And How a, does comedy fit in 
with the music, like in in the dynamic of a of the evening's show. That well, this year there's only going to be one or two uh, comedians that are going to be on the main stage. The rest, they're in this venue. There's like a a large club inside this place that's like fifteen hundred people can fit like fifteen hundred people. So a lot of the comedy and the panels will be in there because it's. It'd be kind of stupid for them to be on this giant stage. A panel. Yeah. Like, it felt, that was the only thing that felt a little weird to me last year is you had people like Joe Para on, like, on this giant stage speaking out to this huge amount of people who were just wandering around. Yeah. And I kind of would rather see Joe Para in a club where everybody wants to be there and they're like psyched about Joe Para. And then there's bands going at the same time outside. So you can, that's the other thing. There won't be like the music bleed of like the guys trying to do his comedy set or, and there's like a metal band, you know? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, Shut up. yeah, I think we're, we're one of the only, um, we're one of the only festivals that does that. And I think it's tricky. You know, that's why you don't see it that often because it's tricky. Do you feel like you have to put yourself to, to de-age yourself to, insert sort of do you have to pretend that you're younger to to make decisions in your job um you know i know what you mean but i don't think so now i mean in some ways i'm a crotchety old man but luckily in the way of um remaining open to new sounds or new ideas in terms of media i think all that's important there is that you're constantly engaging with whatever new stuff is out there so that you're not always sort of coming from a place of, well, this is what I liked when I was 25 and now this is all I will ever like. Because to me, it's really hard to be in a job like this and have that point of view. Cause then you're, then you're almost coming at it in a cynical way. Like, well, kids like this bullshit. So I guess we'll try this. And for me, I'm lucky enough to be like, I genuinely like this stuff. You know, I genuinely like, most of the shows we show, I genuinely like all of the music we put on the air. And if I don't like it, I don't mess with it. And I think part of the way to do that is to make sure that you're listening to when people are saying, this new thing is so hot. You check it out. And like maybe you're like, oh, I've seen this a million times before. I'm 47 years old. I've seen most of it before. But at the same time, sometimes I give it a chance and I find myself liking it. It's like what you talked about with listening to a deep cut a couple times. Sometimes the new sound requires your old brain to be like, what? And then you sort of find yourself coming around. And then sometimes you don't. But I, I, I think it's more important to keep an open ear and an open eye. And it's not so much as trying to put myself in a younger person's shoes. It's trying to look at new art and engage with it in the same respectful, open way I would engage with the art I grew up with, like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you know Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, and the, the stuff I grew up with that my mom played. Um, to me, that stuff was revelatory. But I also will hear about one or two albums a year that I think are revelatory that are brand new. And as long as that keeps going, I think I'm right for this job. The day I stop feeling that way, I should stop doing this. What are some things that have you've been uh, turned on to lately outside of the network? Outside of the network. Um, the show Too Old to Die Young, I love. It's not for everyone. It's on Amazon. It's Nicholas Wending Refinue to Drive. So if you don't like him, you probably wouldn't like it. But it's like every episode is an hour and a half. 
and there are 10 of them and there so it's like 10 movies and they're super super slow it's super violent and super weird uh and i absolutely love it um that's what i'm watching right now that's like that just came out last week so i'm sort of deep in that right now uh i loved um i think you should leave the netflix comedy yeah the best right yeah it's so good the bones are his money yeah the <laughs> turbo team i mean i just like that from the first skit where he's like trying to he has the job interview and he's trying to pretend that the door pushes out when it doesn't yeah. and so he's just shoving it and he starts drooling like it owes so much to tim and eric but it's still so funny i was watching it at the doctor uh, on my uh, iPad, and I had tears rolling down my face, and people were looking at me like, at the, like oh, man, he's really sick. <laughs> he's really sad to be here. I don't think I've laughed at a show that hard in a long yeah. time. Um, and so I you know, I hate Netflix, but I have to give it to him for funding that show. That should have been us. Um, what else? What concerts do you go to? I don't go to that many. You know, I have – you know what You know what it is? I was thinking about this the other day. I have uh, – Periods where I go a lot and periods where I won't go to a show for like a year. And then I'll go like every month or twice a month for a year. It just sort of goes like that. I'm in yeah. sort of a period right now where I don't see as I just saw Anderson Pac with Thundercat and Earl Sweatshirt um, in New York. That was really good. But I don't. A lot of times I think I want to go to a show like I bought tickets for Lizzo. And I wanted to go see Lizzo. And then as it came around, I was like, I don't feel like going out tonight. And I just gave the ticket to my wife and she went with her friend. So you're <laughs> you're a crouchy old man in some ways? Oh, yeah. I don't like crowds. <laughs> and I don't like being around people. People on your lawn. And I <laughs> and I get uh, I get real tired of, of being in public places and having to talk to strangers. So uh, going out to a show, I have to really love the band. I have to be like... I heard they have an amazing live show or have seen them or I have to just think the artist is incredible. Um, and then it's sort of like there's no good way to find out bands are coming to your town. Uh, you know, I used to just look at Creative Loafing every week and like flip to the back. Yeah. Now, unless you find out some other way, how do you know? You know, I don't know how anyone finds out these bands are coming because I'm always yeah. like, oh, shit, I didn't know they were here. I would have loved to see that. Like. Totally. And I, I found this one app that you put in every band that you like, and they, yeah. and they give you an update. Bands in town? Yeah, but yeah. that thing sucks. It doesn't yep. work well. We have a team down there that uh, assembles the list of everyone who's coming through town, so we'll put you on the Please. list. Please. <laughs> that would help a lot. But yeah, I, um, I think the last one I was really excited about was I was going to see the Misfits play New Year's Eve in L.A., and then that fell through. I couldn't, I, for whatever reason, I had a personal thing and couldn't go. Um, the last show I could say was an amazing show that I saw was Prince at Madison Square Garden, which was like four years ago, five years ago. Oh, yeah. Before he died. Before he, <laughs> he'd be really amazing if he, after he died. My wife was at his last show. Oh, no way. Which, again, I had tickets for. Here at the Fox. Yeah. Yeah. I had tickets for that. And at the last minute, I was like, ah, it's him with a piano. He's playing a bunch of gospel. I think I'll skip it and see the next one. And she went with a friend and then ended up being the last time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Lesson learned, kids. Don't When you have a chance to see your favorite, because Prince is one of my favorite artists. Yeah. So, And I had seen him two or three times already. So that's why I was like, eh. 
when you have tickets and you have a chance to see one of your favorite artists, go. Get off your ass. Yeah, pretty much. What are some of the best concerts you've ever seen? Think through your history. Yeah. Um. Okay, so this is going to sound weird, but the Boredoms, the New York punk rock band, they're Japanese, they're Japanese punk band. They opened, they were Lollapalooza 2. For the East Coast leg of Lollapalooza, they were the one of the opening bands. And one of the greatest experiences of my concert going life is seeing the Boredoms, who are the ultimate weird punk rock art freakout band, playing to a bunch of jocks who were just waiting for Smashing Pumpkins to come on. And they were so confused and angry at the Boredoms that it made it an even more enjoyable show, which the Boredoms are always a great show. But it was even better because there were these super pissed off people in the crowd who were like, what is this garbage? Like they were yelling and it made it really great. Um, Outcast for sure. Both the adult swim party where I got to see him really up close. And then I've seen him a couple years before, 10 years before that. Where? Uh, Lakewood. Long time ago though. We're talking early two thousands when they were like, probably they were AT aliens, not even, uh, Sorry, it would be Equimini, third album. Um, Slayer, upstate New York, amazing. Um, there are just some band. Oh, uh, one that I didn't think I really would feel this way was Bonnie Vare, who I'm not really a Bonnie Vare kind of guy. And I saw Bonnie Vare at center stage, and it was amazing. And it might be because I was uh, not. 100% sober. Yeah. But, but he had like a sing along and everybody was clapping and it was like really great. It was terrific. I was blown away. I did not. I went in like, nah, and then like came out loving it. And that's my favorite live experience when I go thinking this will be fine. And then it blows me away. My bloody Valentine at uh, masquerade in 1990 would be one of my favorite wow. shows. They had um, super, super heavy fog machines, and they had these big horizontal red lasers, strobes that blinked really fast. And so when they filled the room with so much smoke, and they had the laser strobing, and then they had their speakers turned up all like so, like louder than any metal band I've ever seen, like the most crushing wall of sound with that reverb, reverb and feedback. When they hit those strobes, it did something to my inner ear, so I got dizzy. Like I, I felt like I was going to fall down. Uh, that was amazing. Wow, full body. What about you? You made. I saw uh, Neil Young at uh, the Orlando Arena in 1990, and it made me think the same thing. I was had the worst seat in the way back of the arena, with Crazy Horse, and he played "Blown in the Wind" and just went clang. Yeah. You know, how many times? <laughs> just knocked me out. I love that album from that yeah. uh, arc weld. And then I think it forever damaged his hearing. It did. <laughs> well, it's so loud, too. I mean, like yeah. that. You can listen to it now, and it's like, yeah, like it's crazy. Uh, but uh, I, lo- I love that album, though. Um, turn, turn people on to one thing. Turn people on to yeah, one, one thing. One thing that, that we didn't talk about right, that well, maybe that's gonna an pull unknown my, thing. I'm going to pull up my phone and find a band. Find something that. Find a band yeah. that I really like. Turn me on to something. <laughs> but I don't know. 
<laughs> Turn the listener on to something that, right. that's so obscure. I don't, I don't think I can do... I don't know how obscure new. it is. I would say right now there's a guy called Denzel Curry. He's a rapper from Florida. He just put out an album called Zoo. And I think he's incredible and the album's incredible. I think he could be the next outcast. Denzel Curry. Denzel Curry. So we'll listen to this podcast again in a year. <laughs> and we'll see bring you back this, in. What's up with Denzel Curry, man? Yeah. <laughs> Right, I hope so. I hope uh, he should be his, he should be the biggest rapper in the world. Jason Demarco, that's me. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Be sure to visit adultswim.com/podcast for links to some of the things Jason and I were just talking about. And as always, love to hear from you. Adultswimpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, requests, harsh words, whatever. Thanks to Dave Bonowitz for editing this and Christina Loringer for her help. And thanks to you, the listener, for listening. Music from this episode is a song called Bochicha from the album Sun Bronze Greek God by Dom. Thanks for listening.